Next month, all across the country, parishes will begin to celebrate a year of Eucharistic revival. Over the past year, it's been the, the National Eucharistic Revival has been on the diocesan level. Beginning June 17th, it's going to be on the parish level. And then there's a whole other thing that happens in the third year. But as we start looking forward to celebrating and utilizing this year of Eucharistic revival, you know, we, we've got to be clear in our minds, well, what is it? You know, what are we reviving? We formed an, the parish council formed, or pastoral council formed an ad hoc committee for the year of Eucharistic revival. And they did a great job, but they got bogged down in talking about issues involving piety. It's not a bad thing. But Eucharistic revival is, the revival is not about our piety, it's not about how we say mass or do things. Now, when I did my doctorate, the special area was how to teach deacons preaching. I remember somebody told me when I came, Deacon Paul was standing in the back and he was telling somebody how he was scared to death that I was coming here. And they, well, why are you scared? He said, his doctorate is in diaconal preaching and I have to preach in front of him. But I assure you, when I'm sitting in that chair over there, I'm not a teacher. I'm a listener, just like you. You know, I don't, I don't know that I've ever really criticized anything. Um, in fact, sometimes I'll say, write that down, because I can use that two years from now, because they won't remember, John, that you said it. <laughs> in doing that, that doctorate, and to understand the diaconate, diaconate you have to go back to this first scripture passage we just heard, and then you move forward through history, you know, how it grew and then how it waned, and what were the liturgical roles of, of, the, of deacons, because it changed over time, and with it the liturgy changed. So, you know, I had to do several courses on just the history of the liturgy itself, you know, to be able to go through 2,000 years of how Mass was said, or the breaking of the bread, whatever it was called at the time. And, you know, so I know today what the rules are. This book right here, it's called the Roman Missal, that in here are all the rules. And trust me, I know them backwards and forwards. And you would be hard-pressed to find me breaking any of these rules. Now, am I a rigorous, or, you know, is, what's the deal with me? you know, knowing them so well and refusing to break them. Well, first and foremost, the Mass doesn't belong to me. It's not my Mass. It's for us. There's the word our there. And if I begin doing things willy-nilly, or if any priest does, well, they're turning it into their Mass, not ours. Um, you know, if you go to see a play, especially a play you're familiar with, and if the actors start making up their own dialogue, you're ticked. So we don't make up our own dialogue up here. You know, this belongs to the whole church. It's bigger than me, bigger than all of us. So trust me, I know the rules. And people sometimes ask, you know, well, 
Father, shouldn't you just tell everybody receiving the hand and forget this tongue stuff? Or shouldn't you be telling everybody receive on the tongue and forget the hand stuff? I said, no. No, we don't do that because both are allowed. How any one of us chooses to receive is based not on the rules, but on our piety. And we always need to be clear that there's reasons we do things that our piety is one of the reasons we do it. Some people choose to kneel. Well, the, the church asks us to, well, the church, the bishop, American bishops ask us to stand. And then it said, people are asked to stand, stick out their hands, you know, do this, do this, comma, those who wish may kneel. So it's a little bit of an afterthought. But, you know what? Am I going to criticize anybody from kneeling? Am I going to slap them and say, stand up? <laughs> no. Because it's a question of the person's piety. If it helps them and their faith and their profound belief in Jesus present on this altar, long, long as they're not doing anything crazy, so what? And we get caught up in all that wrong stuff. What we want to pay attention to in the year Eucharistic revival is not so much the Mass and how we say Mass, but on the core of our faith, the core being that we believe that this is the body and blood of Christ. Do all Catholics believe that? No. And in fact, slightly less than 50% Catholics believe this really is the body and blood of Christ. We've got to deal with that. We have to deal with that. Now, in any parish, you can slice it into even thirds. A third of a parish, third of you are here every Sunday, pretty much. A third are here off and on, but definitely aren't, you know, they wouldn't describe themselves as weekly attenders. You know, maybe monthly, maybe here, maybe there. And then the other third are just simply names on a page. Well, how can we reach out to that middle third who are here from time to time? and not criticize them for that, but help them deepen their understanding of Jesus Christ present on this altar. You know, and that other third, if they're not, you know, we can send all the stuff we want in the mail to them and all of that, you know, they want a relationship, so they sign up. Eventually, we'll figure out what to do with for them, not to them, but for them. You know, to come to faith that this is sure enough the body and the blood of Christ, we have to work at that. You know, it's, a, it's, it's very common for people in confession to say, Father, I'm doubting my faith, or I'm doubting this, or I'm doubting that. Well, yes, you're right. We all doubt from time to time. Because if you look at what we believe and say we believe, it's kind of over the top. It's, it's hard. And so we find ways to work on our faith. You know, if you want to lose weight, you've got to work at it. You've got to start exercising. You have to have some self-discipline about what you eat. You know, I'm very disciplined. I make sure I eat three cinnamon rolls every morning. But we have to work at it. It doesn't come easy. You know, a student in high school that wants to really get into a good college, 
They have to work at it. You know, some of their buddies are slacking off and they're burning the midnight oil. They want that GPA so they can get accepted. They work at it. If you want to advance in a company, what do you do? You work at it. You know, if you're the top of the company and you want your company to do better, you work at it. And our faith is no different. We've got to work at it. We've got to have discipline about it. And slowly but surely, it comes. And then we all have a moment where we're at mass or we're at adoration, and it's like, boom, the light of our soul brightens up. It's just like suddenly we embrace it. You know, it might be on on a retreat. But today we've kind of got this core that is so important when we listen to the gospel today. You know, God bless Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you want to come to the Father, you must come through me. John, as he writes this gospel, is brilliant. Because John is the onion. You know, that metaphorical onion. You just keep peeling layers of meaning back and back. And and so today, in, in Jesus, in his farewell address to the apostles, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Those are very deep theological concepts which we can expound on for a long time. I'll treat you well and I won't expound for a long time on those. But I will say this. Where do those words come from? The early Christian community is no different from us. They wanted to have their own identity. As much as every parish has its own unique identity. Some of the the most common name for the Christian community or communities was the little ones. They referred to themselves as the little ones. And so in the Gospel of John, you know, pay attention. You know, Jesus says, let the little ones come to me. On one level, he's talking about children, but on another level, he's not. You know, if anyone gives scandal to one of these little ones, it's better that a millstone be tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. You know, we hear Jesus and John referring to the little ones. He is not only referring to the children, because he makes reference to children, but he's also referring to the entire Christian community. The next most popular one, we see it in uh, the letters of Peter, we see it in the Acts of the Apostles. They refer to themselves as the way. It's one of the names of those early Christian communities. Another one was the truth. Another one was the life. It's much like, okay, we've got, you know, here we have St. Philip up the road. We've got St. Matthew down the road. We have Nativity across the way. You know, we're going to have another church up toward Brentwood. We have Holy Family. We all have our name. And those early Christians, it was the way, the truth, and the life. So what is Jesus saying? You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what he's saying is the only way we can come to experience, truly experience the Father and Jesus himself is when we are with the gathered community. You know, he's not saying if you don't believe in me, you can't get to heaven. Now he's saying that once we start to have faith, we, we've got to understand the only way we can deepen it 
is by being with the community in prayer and worship. Can we pray anywhere? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can we worship just anywhere? Not necessarily. Praying can be extremely personal or it can be communal. Worship, by definition, is always a communal act. We worship as a group together. We can experience Jesus Christ anywhere. You know, fishermen, hunters, others say, I experience God, you know, when I'm in the deer stand, and I experience God when I'm fishing. And sometimes when I'm fishing, I call on God quite often to help me out. <laughs> and sometimes I call on God when I shouldn't, because I just lost a big fish. Oh, God. <laughs> but there's only one place, only one place, that Jesus is physically present on this earth. That's on that altar. Tabernacle, of course. But on that altar, that's where Jesus is physically present to us. And we can't experience that anywhere else but gathered around the table of the Lord. So in this year of Eucharistic revival, we want to be able to deepen that faith in the gathered community coming to be present to the body and blood of Christ. And which, by the way, we're going to reintroduce the cup on the Feast of Corpus Christi. But that is the challenge, and that's the purpose of the Eucharistic revival. It's not about how we say the Mass. It's not about how you express your piety. But it's about what we believe. Wherever two or three are gathered, that is where I am. Words of Jesus. Wherever two or three are gathered, that is where I am. And so, here we are.